Did I make your tea properly, darling? Well, I can make another out. cup. We're about you wouldn't have to make another cup, you just have to add something to it. <laughs> I could literally No, get I off have my to start from scratch. Here. Hey there. Hey, and welcome to the Wonder Binge Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about some shit, you know? <laughs> you good, Finn? No. I mean yes. I mean I'm great. Hi, I'm fine. Hi. <laughs> I'm Maria. Hi, I'm Jen. Welcome to Wonderbench Podcast. Welcome to Wonderbench Podcast. Maria, what do we do on Wonderbench Podcast? We tell each other and the world about all the random things that we wonder about. And what are you wondering about today, my dear? I'm wondering about some spooky shit. Because, hey, it's spooky month, finally! Spooky time! And we're really close to Halloween. We're so close. We're oh, two weeks away? I think I think we're less than a week away when this, this comes out. Comes out nineteenth. Nineteenth. So oh yeah, so we're about like a week and a half. So our next episode will be like right after Halloween. Oh, maybe we should do three spooky episodes. Oh yes, please. I don't know why I turned into goofy there. Huck oh. yuck. Huck yuck. <laughs> Can I do my monkey impression? Oh boy. Go. I do a really, really good monkey sound. You do. And I literally never show it off. You it, don't. It never, you used to. I used to. Well, it it never like just happens organically, and I'm past the point of my life where I'm like <laughs> XD so random. So I just <laughs> I don't do it randomly anymore. That's weird. Like I'm weird, but I've learned that you can't just make a monkey noise out of nowhere. You know. Yeah, and be socially acceptable. <laughs> but it just like it doesn't come up in conversation. Recently, it came up in conversation, and I did one. And it was when we were all here, like our group of friends was here. Oh, after Lindvilla, I think Matt was like whoa like he was surprised by it I don't, i've probably never done it in front of him i guess not but i i'm strangely good at making a monkey sound. you are it's true <laughs> would you like to show it off here for the um, world i don't know because now i'm under pressure because now i've talked myself up quite a bit i'm gonna hype you up come on donkey kong show me what you got <laughs> it's diddy kong Di- oh sorry my bad that's not a gorilla noise it's a monkey noise <laughs> something straight out of tarzan <laughs> Are you going to start singing Trash in the Camp? <laughs> I used to be really good at um, a Blue's Clues impression. You were really good at... I think I... Yeah. You have the perfect like vocal cadence to oh, match nice. Blue. That's actually really sweet for some reason. <laughs> okay. It's just like, I know, you didn't mean it to be a compliment it's or anything. It's probably just the, the vocabulary of verbal cadence that it feels like a high compliment. It does. You used, uh, yeah, I like the I vocab. I fancy words to, to compliment you. You have the vocal cadence. You have the vocal of cadence a small blue of dog. a cartoon dog. <laughs> I feel like I'm blushing. You are. Your face is red. I miss the days of blues clues because james and i when we were when we were younger and we lived closer to you Mm -hmm. and every doorway was we had to blue skidoo through i love it i love blue skidooing it was always it was primarily from the kitchen to the dining room blue skidoo weekend too and we'd see how far we could jump and we try to out jump each other my sister and i would do the dragon tails chant I think. Meg, if you're listening, you know that I just create memories and I don't have any real ones. So if that's false, don't tell me. Let me live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God, Meg, let her live. (laughs) I truly, my mind is a vault. If you sing a song, it's going to be stuck in my head, which is crazy because it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But it is for like certain... Honestly, let's change the subject because it genuinely concerns me that I don't have memory. So... (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Anyway, you had it's a topic. Okay. We could okay. just we could just jump into that. Yeah, that's a great subject change. That's a whole like hours worth of okay. Uh, so the other first, things. the first two paragraphs of this are very whimsically written. They're very like poetic, sort of. So where to begin? A small disclaimer: it is spooky time, my favorite time, and as such, the following episode contains mentions of inevitability, darkness, the end. If you are easily upset by reminders of the fate of every living being, I urge you to be wary. As always, we wish to be heard. We wish to educate and explore. More than anything, we strive to make use of the time we are given. Fascination with the end is real in all of us, but we understand that it is hard to hear, especially in such an uncertain time in the world at large. We are here to distract and to entertain, but we also must use this platform to be ourselves, to face fears, to embrace reality. Memento Mori. Oh my god. I have, like, legit chills. <laughs> I was really proud of it. Oh my god. I was, I feel like I was being sucked into, like, some sort of documentary just now. It's what I was going for. Well, you've got it. Keep going. Okay. Momentum mori. Momentum mori. Okay. Latin. <laughs> Latin. <laughs> wow. I fancy. three years of Latin in high school. And now we're talking about death. The word grim is an adjective meaning forbidding, uninviting, lacking genuine levity, mirthless, black, depressing, or worrying to consider. It is a word of darkness, an unsettling feeling, a looming presence in the corner of one's eye. Enthusiasts of literature might think of the Brothers Grimm, whose fairy tales held a grim nature of their own. And while the coincidence is intriguing that these brothers so aptly named would create stories of a similar definition... The only true connection is that the name and the word are both of Germanic origin, of forbidding or fear-inspiring aspect. And what is the one thing throughout all of human history that has inspired fear, unsettled the minds of every living being, and loomed perpetually in the back of our skulls? An inevitability, all-consuming, inescapable truth. Memento mori. Remember, you will die. Oh, man. How do you feel? (laughs) Trying to live in a Dia de los Muertos where death is okay. I'm trying to be okay. (laughs) Death as personification has many associated names and figures, but the most common and enduring of these is the Grim Reaper. Thought to have been first conceived in Europe during the 14th century in association with the Black Death, the world's worst pandemic to date, also known as the Bubonic Plague, ended the lives of one-third of Europe's entire population. Death was ever present in the minds of surviving Europeans from 1347 to 1351 and the years following. The first noted use of the term, the Grim Reaper, was in 1847. So hang on, let me get the dates straight again. So the bubonic plague was in... The 14th century, and there were a few resurgences after that. But the main bubonic plague was from 1347 to 1351. Okay, and then you said the Grim Reaper The Grim Reaper as a word... It was, like, written down. Like, we know it was first Documented. colloquially used in 1847. So, like, 500, like 500 years later. Years later yeah. yeah. So I was trying to do the mental math. There you go. And did, do you know if um, that was, like, coined because of the bubonic plague? So the imagery sort of came about during the bubonic plague. We don't really know what name they had. Okay. We know that the, the name Grim Reaper was first documented in 1847. Okay. Do you think But it could have it could have been someone looking back at the art from that time and calling and, it and calling it that. 
it, it could have just been the Reaper. Potentially, yeah. And then it became the Grim Reaper. Because maybe, maybe someone made a comment like, oh, what a grim image. Mm-hmm. Like, huh. But that's interesting yeah. that it was so, like, so much later. So the personified Reaper, known most succinctly as Death with capital D, mm-hmm. is portrayed as a looming skeletal figure cloaked in black robes and wielding a scythe. A scythe is a mowing tool composed of a long curving blade fastened at an angle to a long handle used to quickly reap or harvest wheat when it has grown too old. The reaper serves as a reminder of our inevitable death, but also as an usher to the other side. They are often skeletal, sometimes an elderly figure, in some depictions, young and beautiful. Really? Yeah. The scythe, while a frightening instrument, is not a weapon. The reaper does not kill those they see. They come at one's time to help them, using their scythe to sever the soul's ties to the mortal plane, granting them passage to their preferred afterlife and guiding the spirits to the next realm. And that makes sense with, like, the the wheat Im- imagery, like, mm-hmm. use the scythe for the wheat, and, like, the wheat doesn't die necessarily. Like, you go and you use it. Yeah, it's harvested. Mm-hmm. When it has grown too old, when it has finished its purpose in the earth. Right. It is then harvested. Yeah, because it'll actually die if you don't, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, that was my necklace. <laughs> it'll actually die if you don't harvest it, and it'll be completely useless. Yeah. It's huh. like pruning a plant. Oh, we're being pruned. We're being out, pruned. Out of our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned preferred afterlife. Uh, the Reaper is not directly associated with any particular faith, though they are oh, often not? affiliated with the Horsemen of Death as party to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse from Abrahamic faith. Okay. Um, however, they're not directly connected to any faith. Okay. Um, well, see, but wait, hang on. I thought they were semi-connected to... Greek or Roman gods, like, wasn't he the River Styx master? He was the bowman? I'm, I'm about to touch on uh, the Greek oh, well. version of death. Okay. But that is actually a great note. But um, because of the affiliation with the horsemen, they're sometimes depicted as having a pale horse. Not they... headless, though. What? Not headless, though. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not the headless horseman, unfortunately. Darn. Uh, you may have also noticed that I am using they, them pronouns for death. There's no gender. The Grim Reaper, this is a direct quote from (laughs) monster.fandom.com. Yo, what a website. (laughs) The Grim Reaper is a near universal representation of demise and is found in a wide variety of different cultures with many different names. British influenced cultures tend to portray the Reaper as being male or devoid of gender or sex. But in languages with grammatical gender, for example, Lithuanian, Polish, French, and Spanish, the concept of death is expressly female. Due to this, several cultures' variants of the Grim Reaper are expressly female or at the least feminine leaning. Really? But in Western culture, mostly male. So I'm using huh. they, them just to encompass all of the deaths. Okay. That makes sense. Just real quick, though. Isn't the word death in Spanish muerto and O is male? It's not the word death. It's the character death. And the Spanish character death is La Catrina. True. Which is female. That's, oh, you got a point. Yeah. All right. So the, the concept of death and the personification of death are different entities. Okay. Yeah. They're not one and the same. In various cultures, various languages. All right. So while death, the word is a, uh, a male word, death, the character is a female. Oh, and um, from my, um, my demonology episode a couple, couple weeks ago. Mara. L- Mara. Yeah. yeah she, she's female. also one of the examples that I came across. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so the Reaper, as we know them, is not a particularly friendly visage. However, they have some predecessors, which provide a more inviting sight. Okay. Here I'll touch on the Greeks. The Greeks named death Thanatos. He was the twin brother of Hypnos, the god of sleep, and both were portrayed as young, pleasant men. 
Okay, so not the old skeleton death. No, he was he was he was that classic handsome Greek god. So his job was to accompany the departed to Hades, the Greek underworld. Right. Hades, the place, and Hades, the god, share a name. But Hades is the god of the underworld. He is not the god of the dead. Right. So would Than- uh, Thanatos is the god. He is death. Yes. He, would he be the god of the dead then? Or is that just like a complete misnomer altogether? He is the one who escorts the dead to the underworld. So he's not really a god of, he just a, yeah. a service he, god, I guess? I guess so. Like, would you say that Lakatrina is death or the goddess of death? I believe she's the goddess of death. Well, then I guess he would be the goddess of dead. God. 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 Whatever. This one has a gender, I think. Thanatos is a man. So once Thanatos brought the departed to Hades, he would deliver the souls to Charon. And Charon is the ferryman on the River Styx. Oh, okay. And you need the two coins on the eyes to make sure you can pay the fee. (laughs) Um, In Norse mythology, the Valkyries were beautiful young women who served as Odin's messengers and as escorts to the souls of warriors killed in battle. Valkyries differ, however, in that the word Valkyries means choosers of the slain. So unlike other deaths where they don't choose who dies, they just help who dies go on, Mm -hmm. the Valkyries did choose those who were slain. So they would ride on winged horses during battle and they would select brave warriors to die. So they would basically survey the battle see which warriors were the best, see which warriors were the bravest, and they would select them to die. So basically the Valkyries were like recruiters so that they could then escort them to Valhalla, which is Odin's hall, and enlist them in the fight in the Battle of Ragnarok, which is an apocalyptic conflict signaling the end of the world in Norse mythology. Well, fuck. Aren't the Valkyries in the Marvel Universe as well? Yes. Um, in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. We love the favorite the, Thor movie. The chick that gets him in a net. <laughs> She's a Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like a very specific type of warrior. Yes. Um, so they would literally like just take these awesome warriors from their battle that they're mm-hmm. passionate about and be like, fuck your earthly but shit. But here's the thing. In, in Norse mythology and in Norse culture, in the Viking culture, mm-hmm. Valhalla was endgame. Oh, you wanted that. Yes. So many of the men fighting in the battle, their their desire was to die in battle so that they could be brought to Valhalla. Interesting. It was it was an honor to die in battle. Do you think any of them would like get slain on purpose? <laughs> uh, I'm sure there was a couple. <laughs> I, that, I don't know about that because get slain. The, the idea is that the Valkyries choose those who are slain. They oh, are I the guess choosers of the slain. So they would choose the best ones. Yeah, they wouldn't choose the guy that would yeah. jump in front of a sword on purpose. Yeah, that makes sense. So the task of escorting souls to the afterlife is also sometimes done not by humanoid forms, but by animals. These are called psychopumps. Psychopumps? Psychopumps. That sounds like a, like a heel brand. Yeah, it's from the Greek word psychopompos, meaning guide of souls. They are creatures, spirits, angels, or deities whose responsibility is to escort newly deceased souls from Earth to the afterlife. Their role is not to judge the deceased, but simply to guide them. Kind of like um, the other... Fifth, so I keep Thanatos. Yes. Like, he doesn't choose who dies, he yes. just escorts. And you said they're an animal? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, appearing frequently on funerary art. Okay. It's a hard word to say. Funerary? Funerary? It's funeral art. Okay. Um, psychopomps have often been depicted as different at, sorry, psychopomps have often been depicted at different times and in different cultures as anthropomorphic entities. Okay. Horses, deer, 
Dogs whip poor wills, which is a kind of bird. Ravens, crows, vultures, owls, sparrows, and cuckoos. Cuckoos. When seen as birds, they are often seen in huge masses waiting outside the home of the dying. This is part of the reason why corvids sometimes get a bad rep as harbingers of death. Yeah, And also because, like, like, they're black and kind of scary. Yeah, there's... Well, (laughs) black is part of the symbolism. Black is a color of mourning. Yes. People wear black to funerals. Mm -hmm. Bodies get taken away in black hearses. Death is shrouded in black. Death is shrouded in black. So that connection is pretty easy to make. And and probably intentional. Like, that's probably why they chose those birds to represent death or the... Um, what did you, what were they called again? Psychopumps. Psychopumps. Yes. Man, that's a great fucking word. It's a great word. Psychopumps. Yes. So the Grim Reaper is a psychopomp. Oh. So like specifically he'd be considered a psychopomp. Yes. The word, the word psychopomp is the guide of souls. So the, the one who escorts the souls to the afterlife. Would Thanatos also technically be a psychopomp? Or is it, okay. In technicalities. But since he's a Greek I think god, he was, he's like his he, own? He was probably the original psychopomp because the word psychopompos is a Greek word. Oh, okay, okay. So he's got minions, basically. Yes. <laughs> As I said before, the classic death image comes from the 14th century. Most artists from this time portrayed the skeletal form of death in similar ways. Contrary to our modern perception of death, at this time in history, death was a villain in the eyes of the Europeans. Since so yeah. many of them were dying. Right. And it was a bad thing. That made sense. Quote, he was often shown holding a dart, crossbow, or some other weapon, eventually replaced with the scythe. Many paintings showed death swinging the scythe through a crowd of people mowing down souls as if they were grain. Sometimes a young woman stood at death's side as a reminder of the link existing between life and death. Another popular notion was that death could interact with the living and tempt them to the grave, hence the dance of death, or danse macabre in which skeletons are shown dancing and cavorting with people from all walks of life. Hmm. So, like, the the cartoon of, like, the spooky, scary skeletons, that cartoon uh-huh. of the skeletons dancing, that is an example of dance macabre. Interesting. And also, the idea of the dance macabre is they're, they're shown dancing, usually with each other, but in a lot of portrayals, they are dancing with the rich, the poor, showing that death does not... Discriminate. Discriminate. We are all skeletons. We are all skeletons. So, let's go over the symbolism associated with the Grim Reaper. Okay. Or death. Uh, this is directly from a How Stuff Works article. Skulls and skeletons. As the plague swept through Europe and Asia, it wasn't uncommon to see stacks of rotting corpses. In the Great <laughs> Plague of London, an outbreak that occurred between 1665 and 1666, one in five residents succumbed. With death yeah. and dying such an integral part of daily life, it makes sense that artists and illustrators began to depict death as a corpse or a skeleton. The skeletal figure represents the decay of earthly flesh, what's right. left after the worms and maggots have done their work. Mm-hmm. It also reinforces one of the greatest human fears, the fear of obliteration. The black cloak. Right. I kind of talked about black already. Mm-hmm. Black has long been associated with death and mourning. People wear black to funerals, transport the dead in black hearses. But black is also often the color of evil forces. The black cloak also gives the reaper an air of mystery and menace. The things we can't see frighten us as much as the things we can see. So the reaper hides within the shadows of his cloak, playing off our fears of the unknown. Right. That's a take that has the reaper as a villainous sort of thing, using our fear against us. And like the whole creeping in the shadows is like, yeah. it's always there, and you but you don't always see it mentality. Yeah. I, as I do with most anthropomorphic characters, I try and humanize them a bit. Of course. I don't, I don't see him as a, or them. 
I don't see them as a malicious character. I don't either. And I'll, I'll get more into that. Um, let's talk about the scythe really quickly. Yeah, please do. Um, in early renderings, the Reaper is shown holding arrows, darts, spears, or crossbows. Yeah. These are the weapons he uses to strike down his victims. And Over that's the time, more malicious yes, figure. Yes, that is, that is the origin of that imagery was at a time where death was the enemy. And very close on your heels. Yes, it was ever-present, surrounding you all the time. I it can't was, imagine. It was at a time where it was such a thing to fear, like aggressively fear, more so than the current fear. So over time, a scythe came to replace these other instruments of death. A scythe was a tool used to reap or cut grain or grass. Bringing this imagery to death was a natural extension of an agrarian society in which harvesting, done in the fall, represented the death of another year. Oh. Just as we harvest our crops, so does death harvest souls for their journey into the afterlife. And in a way, it's also preparing the groundwork for new life in the spring. Exactly. So the last bit of symbolism that I, I haven't mentioned previously, but if you look at the sticker on my computer, the Memento Mori Unis Honest sticker. Yes, Unis Honest. Hourglass. Another symbolism of death. Because your time's running out. Exactly. The sands of time. So the classic hourglass has two glass bulbs containing sand. The average one, the big one, takes an hour to pour from the upper to the lower bulb. Right. Hence being an hourglass. Mm-hmm. I actually have a collection of hourglasses that range from five minutes to 25 minutes. That's cool. I don't have an hourglass. I want one, though. I have to tell you something, and it's crazy. Please tell me crazy things. This is things. a departure. I'm sorry. Cra- tell me crazy things. So I have a collection of hourglasses. You said. The first one I got at the resale shop on Beaver Island. Ooh. You were with me there. It was 50 cents. Oh, yeah. I remember that. It's an hourglass paperweight. Right, yeah. With a little phone in there. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll post a picture. It's super um, cute. The only reason I got it is because I had dreamt of it the night before. Shut the fuck up. I had I had a dream. I had seen it in my dream. And the next day we went to the resale shop. I saw it. That's so crazy. Wait, and that's very specific because yeah. there's it's like... It's a little hourglass. I think it's, it's an a, hourglass. Isn't it in, green sand too? It's pink sand. Pink sand. It's in like resin. Yeah. So like you can't actually reach the bulbs at all. It's in resin. It has a black backing and, and it has a little... a little gold like phone hanging off the hook. Depending on how you have it, it's either the phone being picked up or the phone hanging off. That's so specific to dream about. And it was like spot on exactly what I saw. And so I bought it. It was only 50 cents, whatever. But... The central connection between the two bulbs was cracked. It so they the, the glass had been broken before it was put in this resin. So the sand didn't actually fall. Aww. One bulb had a bit more sand than the other. I I kind of thought it was cool in that I can have it oriented like there's a little bit of sand left and there's a lot in the middle or in the in the bottom. Or mm. I can flip it the other way and there's a lot in the top and a little in the bottom. And it wouldn't run. It would just be that piece. It's kind of like it's always in motion. Like yes. time is still going. It's yeah. never out. Okay. I bought it years ago. Four years ago? Maybe? I think more than that. Maybe, maybe five, five or six. Five or six years ago I bought this. Uh-huh. Two weeks ago. I was in my room. My dad came in. My dad just comes in and hangs out in my room sometimes. It's fine. He does. <laughs> um, I have all of my hourglasses on my bookshelf. And I have a desk chair in my room that I just move around, whatever. It just sits in the corner. My dad sat down in the desk chair in front of the bookshelf. And my room is... I like how it's decorated. I have a lot of trinkets. So sometimes he just comes in to look at my stuff. It is fun to... Your room's like a mini museum, it's, honestly. I'm, like... I'm, I'm really proud of my collection of random things. But sometimes he just comes in to, like, talk to me and to just look at my stuff. 
he picks up this paperweight that has, for six years, never had the sand move. And it starts moving. Oh, God. My heart just and dropped. And suddenly, one bulb is empty, and the other bulb is full. What? And in the six years that I have had it, that's never happened. It's never been able to make it through the center channel. And I was losing my mind. I was like, there's no way. Dad, you're lying to me. There's no way. And then he flipped it back over, and I watched the sand fall through. And I started having a panic attack. I'm, I'm kind of panicking, because like... Mm. <laughs> Wait, so does it still do it? Like, have you checked it since? It still works like that? So now suddenly it works. Suddenly it works. And my dad my dad is, like, looking at it. He obviously wasn't as freaked out as I was. And I he, mean, yeah, he expects it to work. He's just, like, he's just watching it, and it stops again. And he, like, shakes it, and he's like, oh, okay, so where it's broken, there's a little piece of glass in there that sometimes clogs the hole, and you just have to shake the glass out of there. Oh. But I've had this thing for six years, and I've tried that. The little piece of glass has never come dislodged. Huh. So either your dad just has the magic touch or like... I started freaking out thinking, okay, my time has come. I'm dying. See, I took it as your dad's time is coming because he's the one who picked it up. He better not fucking... That better not fucking happen. Okay, let's, let's just keep moving on. How dare you bring that into I'm life. sorry. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it, it scared me. I Yeah, that scares me a little bit. I mean, it's like, let's be real. It's probably just a coincidence, but like, it, yeah, it is strange. Of course. Of course. It's just that it's been six years. Yeah, it's been a long time. And you've tried it. Never moved. And oh. now suddenly the sand falls. Oh, man, this is like the climax of your documentary. It's, yeah, it's spooky. <laughs> it's spooky. That's all I'm going to say. It's spooky. All right. I'm gonna um, shade. Let me check that one off real quick. Okay, ooh, continue. Okay. So, yeah, uh, the Grim Reaper clutches an hourglass, letting us know that our days are numbered. When the sand runs out, our time is up. Right. That's that symbolism. Sorry for that departure. I just remembered that I was freaking out. That was a good departure. <laughs> it scared me. Ooh, I'm like really invested now. Yeah, like, dude. Okay. I was before, but now I'm really in it. <laughs> um, there's a video by Lindsay Ellis on YouTube called Loose Cannon Death. Cannon spelled like canonical, not like Not like cannibals. the show, okay. Yeah, so one N in the middle. But um, Lindsay Ellis on YouTube called Loose Cannon Death which covers many of the iterations and portrayals of death in modern media and was a source and inspiration for this episode. I highly recommend this video as well as the rest of her Loose Cannon series. I just, I love all of her videos, but oh. the Loose Cannon series is great. Oh, okay. For now, however, I'm just going to cover a few of these portrayals. So I'm going to start with one of the furthest departures from the typical skeleton in a cloak motif and talk about the character Death as seen in Neil Gaiman's Sandman series. In The Sandman, which is a comic book series, Death instead of being a skeleton man, appears as an attractive, pale young goth woman, dressed in casual clothes, often a black top and jeans. She often wears a silver onk on a chain around her neck, which is, I believe it is the Egyptian symbol for life. Can you clarify that? Yes, it is the key of life in Egyptian hieroglyph. Is that supposed to be ironic? I don't know. So does she have a name? Death. She's just called Death. Yes. Dope. Yeah, so she's, she's just like she's a- super cute. Um, so she wears a silver onk on a chain around her neck, and she has a marking similar to the Eye of Horus around her right eye. The Eye of Horus, also known as a wadget, is an is another ancient Egyptian symbol. It's a symbol of protection and good health. Yes. Also feels ironic. Mm-hmm. She's pleasant, down-to-earth, perky, and uh, serves as a nurturing figure to the character Dream, who is the main character in the Sandman series. Is he the Sandman? Technically? I'm not sure. <laughs> Squeaky chair. Yeah. Um, 
I would assume so. Anyway, go on. She serves as a psychopomp and personification of the end of life. However, unlike most personifications of death, she also visits people as they are born. Oh. And evidently, only she seems to remember these encounters. So she visits people when they are born. She's the only one that remembers that. Uh, That makes sense. I mean, you can't really remember. You don't remember your birth. (laughs) (laughs) If you did, you'd have a lot of problems. In many iterations, death is seen as a figure to be bargained with or outwitted, making a deal with death playing death in a game of chess. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking that. This idea comes from one story surrounding Thanatos, the Greek death figure. So Sisyphus. Sisyphus is... King Sisyphus, a human who tried to... Nope, he didn't try. He succeeded. King Sisyphus, a human who tricked Thanatos into getting chained up. And then there was a time, there's a little while where no one died because death was chained up. Yeah, I've heard of that. Once Thanatos got out, Sisyphus's punishment was to push a boulder up a hill for all eternity. Yeah. (laughs) So that's sort of the origin of outwitting death. Humans who try to trick gods, a lot of their punishments are doing something for eternity. So Sisyphus- Or fucking a bull. (laughs) Why are you like this? (laughs) So uh, Sisyphus tricked Thanatos into getting chained up. No one died for a while. That was fucked up. He shouldn't have done that. People need to die. Mm -hmm. Sisyphus's punishment was- he lives for eternity, but he spends that entire eternity pushing a boulder up a hill. Um, and if he another stops, it crushes that, him. Yeah. Another yeah. example of that is Prometheus. He stole fire from the gods, and his punishment was to repeatedly have his liver plucked out by birds. Oh. Yeah. Vultures would, like, pluck out his pluck out and eat his liver, and then it would just regenerate and just forever that. What a horrible Groundhog Day. For all eternity, because he stole fire from the gods. I believe that's correct. I don't, this isn't in my notes. This is just knowledge, <laughs> knowledge that I have, you know? That's the, um, the vault. So that's sort of the origin of tricking death. This idea is also presented in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, in which Bill and Ted get killed by evil Bill and Ted, who I think are robots. They meet death, prank him. They, they do a Melvin. So they, they tell death that his shoe's untied and then they give him a wedgie and they run away, but they're dead. So they're still in the afterlife and they have like a jaunt through the afterlife. Um, and then they later get sent to hell and they challenge, they like challenge death to a game. They're like, we'll play for our lives. So they play death in battleship. Death loses. Death is a sore loser. So he challenges them to a second game. Then they play Clue, still a sore loser. Then they play electric football, still a sore loser. Finally, he loses at Twister. Um, and then, like, after losing, death is at their command. I've never seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I haven't seen Bogus Journey. But, yeah. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) Uh, I do love Bill and Ted. I believe death ends the movie by joining their band. He plays bass in their band. Oh, fuck yeah. And he comes back in the new Bill and Ted Face the Music, the new movie that's coming out. Oh, he does? I haven't seen the end of the movie. Well, Bill and Ted Face the Music, is that out yet? It'll, oh, it's be, out. it'll be out by now. Oh, it's totally um, out. Oh, I, well, I I've watched it. it. I just oh, haven't okay. watched it all the way through. Yeah, apparently Death comes back in that one. But, Sick. Um, <laughs> death would be a bassist, by the way. That's just such a... That's, it's that's a, a it's an upright bass. It's not like a bass guitar. It's an oh my bass. god. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that is amazing. Um. So, yeah, upon losing, Death is at their command. And then they make him... The bassist. Bring, no, they make him escort them into heaven. Or they make him trick God into letting them into heaven. And in the clip that I saw, it was death. But he was like, he was still in the cloak and still carrying the scythe. But he also had like a pink apron and bonnet on. I've never seen this movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> death being at their command. This is also the premise of The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, which was a cartoon. 
I love that show. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember how Grimm came into their lives, but I'm going to remind you right now. After Billy and Mandy challenge Grimm to a game in exchange for the life of their elderly hamster, Grimm came, right. Grimm came for the hamster and they were like, we'll play you in a game. So um, they play Limbo against Grimm and yeah. Grimm makes the limb, he, he makes it like way too low to go under. So Billy and Mandy end up cheating against him but after losing Grimm is enslaved in a permanently unwanted friendship with the children that makes so much sense yeah honestly as a kid because I don't think I've ever seen the first episode but as a kid I wondered like why is the Grim Reaper following these two yeah. kids for the, no the reason the deal <laughs> they made was with him was if he lost he had to be their best friend forever that sounds like such a Billy line they like made him do their chores and stuff <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, these examples both see death as a being to be avoided through the making of a deal. However, other depictions view him as a helpful being. In The Tale of Three Brothers by Beetle the Bard, not, he's not so much helpful because he does, you know, take the other two. But death finds the youngest brother at the end of his life and they greet each other like old friends. Oh, right. Yes. Um, a popular episode of The Twilight Zone called Nothing in the Dark sees an old woman named Wanda. She has locked herself away in her basement apartment for years, never opening her door to anyone, for fear that Mr. Death is after her. One day, a handsome young police officer is injured outside her door, and she is persuaded to let him in and to care for him. She later finds that he is, in fact, Mr. Death. He explains to her with a friendly smile that he means her no harm and that there's nothing to fear, and he persuades her to give him her hand. She's suddenly standing beside her body, arm in arm with Mr. Death, as he is as he escorts her up into the sunlight. Aww. A quote by Mr. Death is, What you feared would come like an explosion is like a whisper. I've heard that quote before. Mm -hmm. Aww. Yeah, Mr. Death is played by uh, Robert Redford. It's like when you imagine like a black and white show with a handsome young man, It's that's him. That's him. <laughs> it's just like you said Thanatos is, like this handsome just, young... Just this, this pleasant young man. Yeah. That you just, you kind of want to be around. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so The Book Thief is, it's a book. The Book Thief by Australian author Marcus Zusak is an account of the life of a young girl coming of age in Nazi Germany during World War II. Oh, yes. The book this. is a first person narration by death. Oh. He's not a character in the story. He is simply the storyteller. Death is the storyteller. Yes. So this is, it's first person from death. He's narrating. He, he mentions himself in the opening. He's, he like introduces himself as death. He comes into contact with this little girl who is the book thief. He comes into contact with her three times over her life. It's basically death telling the story of her life through the perspective of the three times that he's seen her. Interesting. But he doesn't really do anything. He's not a character. He just tells the story. And the the voice that he has is really interesting. I listened to a bit of the audiobook and he he's very fascinated with color. That's cool, especially since like uh he's like always shrouded in black. Yeah. Like um it makes sense that he'd be into color. Yeah, one one quote, I'm not gonna get this exactly right, I'm gonna paraphrase. But um he's very fascinated with color. One portion of his intro, he talks about how humans only acknowledge the color of the day at sunrise and sunset like the vibe of the day or like the color yeah well so, uh, like yeah so like 
like the not like the vibe like the literal color of like oh. oh it's a sunset look how pretty it's like it's it's gold and pink and purple oh I it's see so what you're beautiful saying. we acknowledge the color we when it's golden hour oh my god everything's so beautiful everything's so amber toned humans oh, only see. really acknowledge color at the beginning and end of the day gotcha. however death in this characterization he acknowledges color in every moment i really like that it's 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 the one like human thing that he holds on to is he he acknowledges the color of of each moment oh my heart like did a little yeah i i kind of want to re-download audible so that i can listen to the entire book dude i'm definitely gonna i kind of want to do it right now (laughs) so some portrayals see death as an emotional being Discworld by terry pratchett sees death as an adoptive father so he adopts a child he has a daughter and then she has a daughter so he dotes on his granddaughter. He's a grand death. He's a grand death. <laughs> um, in in one account, he actually, he subs in for Santa when he's needed. Sorry, I just thought of, instead of grandpa, it's grandpa. Oh, grandpa. <laughs> I love he, that. Wait, so he, he stands in as Santa? Yes. Um, I'm not sure the context. I just know that he puts on the Santa garb. And there's one part uh, where he's like being like a mall Santa and this little girl <laughs> is like talking to him and he's like, have you been a good girl? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and and he, he's like, that is part of the arrangement. We have a deal or something like that. It's so fun. What a straightforward <laughs> Santa Claus exchange. He's, he's so fun. Um, you will now receive a pony, <laughs> but nothing more. Um, <laughs> Others give death a romantic partner. This trend is known as death and the maiden and was a popular motif in Renaissance art dating back to the 18th century. You mentioned that. You said that uh, a lot of the art depicted death with a young woman next to him. Yes. And she was like the life aspect. Is that what you said about yes. it? Yes. So those those earlier things of just death with a young woman beside them was a sort of allusion to death and life. I see. Standing side they were by the side. dichotomy together. Yes. Okay. A lot of the Western interpretation of death being a male figure is due to the symbolism of women giving birth and being light and serving as a as a symbol of life. Mm-hmm. And so, for death to be female wouldn't felt incorrect, right? For a lot of cultures and a lot of portrayals which is why death as we know it in america is normally a male figure or at least the grim reaper is a male figure sure but death in the maiden was a popular motif in renaissance art dating back to the 18th century ludwig gleim wrote a poem called and and toad or to death in which gleim is mad at death for taking his girlfriends away because they all keep dying oh so this guy gleim keeps losing his girlfriends and he writes a poem Addressed to death, being like, why you keep stealing my girls, man? <laughs> and so this began... What's, what's with this guy? Keep stealing my girls. <laughs> so this began the motif as death as a lover. So there's a lot of art. There's a lot of death in the maiden art. A skeleton and a naked woman. Mm-hmm. And it is the symbolism of death as a lover. Huh. And this, this motif also stretches into some media. There's a film called Death Takes a Holiday. I'm outside of my notes now. <laughs> There's a film called Death Takes a Holiday. It's it's an old black and white film where um, this woman, she views marriage as a form of death. Death in that film has spent who knows how long wondering why people are so afraid of him. And so he takes a holiday. The end of that is the the woman who 
sees marriage as a form of death, sort of falls in love with him. I mean, I assumed it was going there. Yeah, so she falls in love with him, and he's like, no, the consequences. And she's like, I know the consequences. I'm okay with it. And, <laughs> and they go off together, and it's it's a beautiful ending. And does she die? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she was spot on, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine having the same type as death? <laughs> like, that's why that guy's girlfriends keep dying, is because they just, they're into the same type of girl. <laughs> Um, so death in all of these cases is one being. Omnipresent, om- omnipotent, right. living death. Maybe portrayed differently, but all the same thing. Yeah. All one being. There are, of course, the portrayals that have Reaper as an occupation. Yes, kind of like Scythe. Yes, the Ark of the Scythe book series by Neil Shusterman is one such universe in which chosen Scythes are, bers- are bestowed the task of taking lives in a future where natural death has been eradicated. Such a good series. Honestly, guys, so good. check it out. All three books are finally out. It's such a good series. It's really good, yeah. It, it really made me think about, like, the future like that, because mm-hmm. that is kind of where we're headed, where, like, natural death may one day not be a thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, what do you do about overpopulation? And, like, what are the what's the morality of that? And, like, it's just such an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful jaunt into exploration of morality. Yeah, like you have to. Oh, oh hi. hi, where are you? What are you? Are you afraid of death too? What's going on? Aww. Okay, sweet girl. She just wanted attention. <laughs> what almost all of these examples have in common is the trait of sympathy. The Grim Reaper is sympathetic. They understand that death is scary, that inevitability is hard to come to terms with, and that to pass on should not be something to fear but should simply be a progression to the next stage of one's journey. They do not end. They guide spirits to a beginning. And while that fear of the unknown may never cease, we have the time now to know all that we can, so that we may go on without distress. Memento mori. Remember, you will die. And this is the closing narration from the previously mentioned episode of The Twilight Zone, called Nothing in the Dark. There was an old woman who lived in a room, and like all of us, was frightened of the dark but who discovered in a minute last fragment of her life that there was nothing in the dark that wasn't there when the lights were on. Well, shit. And that is my notes. That was a good documentary. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It, uh, not, that was pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I won't lie to you. Yeah. So why, why Memento Mori? I mean, I know you've always been fascinated with Memento Mori, but, like, why did you choose it for your topic? Well, the death was my topic. The Green okay. Reaper was my topic. Okay. I, I'm sorry, I thought Memento Mori was, like, the overarching, like... No, Memento okay. Mori is my, like, sign-off. <laughs> <laughs> it's my motto. I'm stealing it from Unis Honest. Dude. Ooh, I wonder if Unis Honest is still around by the time this episode comes out. There might be, like, a week left of Unis Honest when this comes out. What? Is that just a time frame? Um, it's a YouTube channel with Ethan and Mark. Almost a year ago, they started the channel. And the entire premise of the channel, it's a video a day. For 365 days. Oh, And at right. the end of the year, they delete the entire channel and all of the content on it. And the, the whole idea behind it is, like, everything has an end. It's inevitable. The channel will be gone. They ask that people don't archive the videos. Of course people do. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of archive channels. I'm hoping that they will, like, follow Mark and Ethan's desire and delete and their it. channels as well. Right. Or at least the videos. But yeah. That is so, a cool concept. It's really cool. <laughs> I they're, believe you. They're such lovable boys. 
It's, it's going to be hard to say goodbye. <laughs> Danny loves Markiplier. Oh my god, I forgot that he was Markiplier. I'm just, he's just Mark. You know? To you, he's just Mark now. He's, he, to me, he's Markiplier. Well, but thanks, yeah. Man. I'm, I'm going to have to decompress. You want to watch Pride and Prejudice? Oh my god, yes, please. Dope. There's no death in Pride and Prejudice. Not at all. No one dies. No one dies. Not even a hamster. No one dies. All right, let's fucking watch it. I'm thinking back to the last six times I watched it in the past month. <laughs> no one dies. Six Wait. times? Yeah, six no times. I literally watched it, end credits, and started it over. Dude. <laughs> I love this film. Medication. <laughs> I get it, man. Keira Knightley's awesome. I don't I don't blame you. I've been Goodness. holding out. I actually had a whole day where I was doing nothing, and I thought... Maybe I'll watch Pride and Prejudice. But I'm like, no, it. no, no, no. I wanted to wait for you. I want you to be there. No, you really could have. No, but I really want you to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I don't really enjoy watching things with people. Are we absorbing this the same way? If I'm not into it, are you super into it? Can I suggest that maybe we don't watch this? Or are you really into it? Like, is it rude if I leave? Maybe I'm super <laughs> into it, but I'm worried that you're not into it. So it's like, am I being a burden on you? Do you not want to watch this? It's a lot of pressure. The only time Sounds that I feel like... comfortable watching things with other people is like in a theater setting, like going to see movies at the theater. And that's just because we all have a mutual understanding that we're stuck here. There has been uh, times where I really, really wanted to walk out of a movie. Yeah. I hated Frozen, personally. I wanted to leave. I, I didn't see it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated Chronicle. Dude, another one. I <laughs> wanted to leave so bad. Rico, he, he was like too obsessed with the concept and not yeah. the content. If we could have, <laughs> could we drive them? I think we were too. I think we walked from high school. Like we, it was yeah. literally like right after school. We went and saw it. If if a single one of us had had a car, we would have just left Rico there. I I still would have felt bad. I still probably would have saved for the whole thing. Here's but I thing wanted to leave so bad. At that time in our lives, we were kind of okay with being a dick to Rico. <laughs> after a week of knowing him, he pulled my my fucking chair out from under me during class, and I knocked down. It was chemistry. Rico sat behind me, and it was the like. Each desk was on a level of, like, stairs going up. Uh-huh. And Rico had known me for a week. We had known each other for a week. We weren't even friends yet. He was in his seat already. I went to sit down, and he pulled the chair out from under me. I fell and knocked the three desks in front of me down the stairs. <laughs> that is how our friendship started. <laughs> I felt fine being a dick to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he did open that door. <laughs> he really did. You gotta, you gotta take what you give. <laughs> he got me in detention for something he did. I was so pissed off. Yeah. He came up. He came up next to me. I. He came up behind me and next to me, screamed in my ear, and my gut reaction was to smack him in the face. I didn't yeah, even know I who it was. I, I think I was there for that. You were. It was before class I even started. He went, came and screamed in my ear, and I smacked him in the face because I didn't know what it was at first. I thought it was like someone like with like a foghorn mm. or something. I just smacked it away, and a teacher saw it, and I got in trouble for hitting him. I literally got detention for hitting him. Do you remember when I full force smacked a girl in the back of the head by accident? Yeah, wasn't it because the person it was in theology class? <laughs> Yeah. Wasn't it because, um, like, the person you were trying to smack ducked? Yeah. It was a tall <laughs> dude in the back of the class. Like, we were in the back row. He was tall. He was being a fucking dick to me. 
I felt like we were friends enough that I could smack him. <laughs> so I went to, I like had to reach up and go at a downward angle in order to reach his head because he was so fucking tall. I went to smack him across the back of the head. He ducked. The momentum kept me going. And I full force practically palm punched the girl sitting in front of him in the back of the head. <laughs> and I just, I... I melted. <laughs> there was nothing I could have done. I was like, I. What was no, her reaction? She just was like hurt because <laughs> I full force I mean, smacked yeah. her in the back of the head, and the teacher was present. <laughs> Did they not see it? Like, no, he definitely saw. And <laughs> just went, ah, kids. What the fuck? I can't remember what he did. I just know that the person that I was trying to smack held it over my head for like the oh, entire rest. Of absolutely. Our high How do you career. not? <laughs> Amazing. Mm, it do be like that sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. You can find us on social media at WonderBingePod. You can also email us with topic suggestions and commentary at WonderBingePod at gmail.com. Again, I am Jen. I am Maria. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We're doing a strange arm dance. Too bad we're not filming this. Whatever. I'm interpreting the end interpreting the momentum already. I hope I didn't give anyone a life crisis. Well, you, you did give a disclaimer. So, That's true. with that, fucking bye. Bye.